Jacko here from the School of Calisthenics, and I'm back again running solo for a Positive Podcast special, and it takes us up to, I was surprised to find this, takes us up to Positive Podcast 20. It's been a while uh, to be on the mic solo, but um, wanted to bring, as we're bringing in, bringing ourselves home in towards Christmas, um, in the lead up, hope everyone is looking forward to it, regardless of any, whatever restrictions you may or may not have. Um and there'd been, I've done a webinar recently, the details for that um, will, are in the show notes. It's, it's free and available for anyone to watch back. Thank you for so many of you that joined live. Um, and it was delving into the depths of um, what I've been learning about um, the, or the, breathe, the breathing uh, and the breath work um, that I've been exploring this last year to uh, probably like the last 18 months. Um, so that is available. Um, and off the back of that, a number of people have been asking for... Um, me to share what, I, what I've learned. I thought the podcast would be a great space um, for that. So sort of sit back, listen, uh, and relax as much as you can. Breathe, use your diaphragm, breathe through the nose. And uh, I'm going to, crikey, I could go on for a very long time. So I'm going to try, and there's so much to it, and there's so much I've learned, and I'm feeling so many, uh, the title of this was like, the breathing can change everything, or has the potential to change everything. Um, if you're someone like me that's starting a point of dysfunctional breathing patterns um, and questioning whether you are breathing correctly or not, then um, it can have such a huge positive, and I guess it fits in well with the positive podcast, such a positive effect on literally everything, on how we move, on how we feel, and then on how we perform in terms of our fitness. And so it's something, obviously, why I love all those things and why I'm so... Um, excited, I guess, about this and to share. So, so I'm going to try and keep it like concise as much as I can in, into a nutshell and give you like some of the takeaway, um, the biggest like biggest things that I've rather than going on about everything, like the biggest things that I've learned so far. And this is a work in progress. Like I am on a journey of exploring this. Uh, found out so much over the last say, like year to eighteen months. Um, been excited about sharing it, and people have been. Um, yeah, really intrigued by it, which has been great. Um, same as I've been intrigued by it. And um, so this is a work in progress and uh, I'm sure I'll find out more as the more we delve into it. But so far, this is where um, I'm probably going to try and give you the highlights, I guess, of where I've got to um, try and hopefully share some information that's going to help you and then also give you some things that we can try some little breathing things out in this. Uh, but I encourage you to watch that webinar if you want to take a bit of a deep dive into it and follow along with some of the exercises that we do um, in there. So from the off, let's say that, well, actually, let's say Merry Christmas in the lead up to Christmas. Hope you have a great one. Um, but talking breathing then. What I'm trying to narrow it down to like the three, what are the three biggest things that jumped out at me um, as I've gone on this on this sort of journey? I thought I'd start with that and then give a bit of background and context. So I'd say number one was um, nasal breathing. The role that your nose plays in breathing compared and basically like how it is designed or shown that like the design and nature of it, it is designed for breathing and the, the huge parallel and difference between mouth breathing um that's but that is one of the that's one of the biggest things we'll delve into that in the, in the as we go through the second one so nasal breathing number one number two the role of co2 carbon dioxide um i'm actually a qualified site chemistry teacher so i love the chemistry aspect of this it's been a while since i've talked about um carbon dioxide and other uh, elements from the periodic table um but i can name a few but yeah co2 like we are 
um, I guess, understanding that it is far more than just a waste gas um, and plays a vital role um, in the in the delivery of oxygen into the working cells. So that's obviously very interesting. Uh, and we'll delve into that as well. And then the the effect of changing our breathing habits and breathing patterns on our movement and also how we feel but on the movement side of it is 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 really interesting and i guess that ties into how we feel because if we feel tense and we feel stressed then it makes sense that the body is going to be tight and we're not going we're going to be feel a bit restricted um so the movement and the how we feel and managing stress probably fits in side by side even though i wouldn't have initially thought those two things were so closely related uh, but i guess that's what i'm getting to is is understand that they are um, so there were the three biggest things, nasal breathing, um, the importance of the nose and the role it plays, the, the importance of CO2, and then how it can affect our movement. They're the, sort of my three key takeaways, or three key things that I want to talk to. Um, just a very bit of background context for you all. Um, so I probably started exploring this about 18 months ago, maybe even slightly before. And it started with a question and an awareness of going, hearing a few different things and just questioning like, I've never been taught how to breathe. Is that am I breathing correctly? Like, am I doing this right? Um, I've done some. I've done plenty of yoga in the past to a degree, and um, you know they they talk about the breath in that, and I never really understood that or got on board with it at that point, um, and I never really understood the importance of it. I guess, but started to ask that question, and that's where I think it, it starts for everyone. And behavior change always starts with like awareness. So it started me with this question of like, just questioning like, am I breathing right? And the fact that I have never been taught how to do it, maybe I'm not. And understanding um, this difference between chest breathing, I guess it starts with that like, oh, we shouldn't be breathing like upper chest and we need to be breathing more from the belly. And there's the reason why there's people don't like the term belly breathing because as Dana Santos quoted, that was a great podcast as well, by the way, check that one out with Dana Santos. Um, that was out a few weeks ago. Um, but she said that there's, there's no breathing muscles like in the belly. Um, but the intent, the intention from people describing belly breathing is to try and take that notion away from upper chest breathing which is comes with good intentions um, but there's a bit more to it and we'll talk about that in terms of the use of the diaphragm the rib cage and how that moves to facilitate good functional breathing patterns and habits um, but basically i was inquisitive and being inquisitive i think is something that i'm inquisitive about everything so that's a good thing and it was like right let's get into this and i guess i went to um richie norton who we'd had on the podcast i went to one of his workshops he like gave a good intro into it, but I was like, Richie, like, have you got any books that I should read? Like, where would you go for understand? I want to understand this like more. I want to understand it deeper. And he was like, The Oxygen Advantage. I'd never heard of it before, but he was like, It is a game changer. When someone uses the word game changer, I'm like, I've got to read this. And I'm, some people would know, fairly dyslexic. Um, later in life, I've become enjoy, really enjoying reading, but I'm not like good at it, if you like. Um, and it takes me a long time to get through a book. Uh, I tend to make a lot of notes and scribble on the pages and all sorts. But um, but Oxygen Advantage was the fastest book I ever read. Um, I just whizzed through it in like a week or something. Like I just I was just encapsulated. I couldn't put it down. Just wanted to yeah. Just wanted more. And um, I 
at that point was like, this is massive. I'm all in on this. And we were looking, reached out to Patrick, the author, and he was actually on the podcast, podcast 121. And so obviously you can check that one out. Um, and actually Patrick and Richie, who I just mentioned, were both on our uh, podcast live event earlier in the year. That was in June. So that you can watch all those back um, as well if people have missed them. But I got to, to cut a long story short, I got to the point with it where it was like, I was doing what, the, what was said in the book and trying to follow it, but I just didn't, I feel like I was, I had a bit of a, a bit of a stumbling block and wasn't really making the progress that I wanted to. And again, just inquisitive and like wanted to understand it deeper. Um, so that's why I did the, I've done the advanced instructor um, training for the, to become an Oxford coach, uh, certified coach. Um, and that's where things have really started to, to open up and understand it well. So um, with the Oxford Advantage, there's like three elements to it uh, or three pillars um one is like the biomechanics so how we're creating those functional breathing patterns the second one is the biochemistry so what's going on in terms of those gas exchanges and how we can change that and then also um changing the autonomic nervous system or uh, or affecting it in terms of uh, heart rate availability and cadence like cadence breathing so like the pace and rates that we're breathing at so how the, the mechanics of how we breathe the, the biochemistry of those ex- gas exchanges and then the rhythms, I guess, of how we're breathing and how that can affect all those those three things. So it comes at three different elements from it, and um, co- yeah, it, it covers in great depth. Um, so I'm just going to pick out like the the most important things that I've learned. Learned an awful lot from um, the sessions that we did with Dana Santos as well, and followed her program Z Health. Uh, have got a breathing gym uh, program that Dr. Cobb has put together. We've done stuff with him. Learned an awful lot from that as well. So I'll just put all these three. Um, things together really um, also the book by James Nestor Breath um, or Breathe uh, that is a fantastic book as well so I would recommend that and the Oxford Advantage definitely um, but my starting point uh, for sort of like the breath holding work and, and everything with uh, with the Oxford Advantage was um, my bolt score which is um, and you could do this yourself now if you wanted to it's a, just starting from a normal inhale and a normal exhale you don't like prepare for it or anything it's just a normal at rest what is it like normal inhale normal exhale pinch the nose and hold your breath and just use a stopwatch to time how long it is until your first inclination or first desire to breathe so not how long you can hold your head uh, for not a big in breath and a big out breath just a normal inhale normal exhale pinch the nose hold the breath your first trigger or desire um, to breathe and for me, it was like less than 10 seconds, which is bad. It's not good. Um, functional breathing, like the, the limit, or not the limit, the, like the marker they want to get you to is like 25 seconds. It's took me a long time to get to that point. Uh, but we have finally got there. Um, I was, um, I couldn't even, uh, the, the uh, breath hold, again, doing a normal inhale, normal exhale, then um, holding your nose and holding your breath um, and taking steps. So you ma- that's the maximum breath test. How many steps can you take? And that is pushing it to like, you know, you're going to feel your diaphragm um, contract and sort of involuntary uh, spasms of the diaphragm as it wants you to breathe and you carry on holding your breath. For that, for those steps one, where you're counting how many steps that you can do, you're trying to get, again, that like baseline of like up to 60 steps um, as a as a marker of good functional breathing patterns and, and CO2 tolerance. Um marrying up with that 25 seconds for your bolt score, um, which is that normal inhale, normal exhale, and just like basically like a casual breath hold till your first desire to breathe. So taking willpower out of it, whereas the one where you're counting your steps, 
you, you're allowing is a maximum text. It's like allowing your willpower to kick in and see how far you can push it um, rather than taking willpower out of it. I couldn't even do 20 steps for that. Um, my bolt score recently has got up to 28 seconds, I believe. Um, and it still does vary depending on a number of things like how well you sleep in, stress levels, that sort of thing. Um, but my um, maximum breathlessness test of how many steps I can do has gone up to 110, um, which I never thought, I'd, when I couldn't get to 20, I did not believe that I would get anywhere near that. Um, so the things that that's showing is that my um, tolerance to CO2, which is the trigger to breathe, this is one of the things, I'm going to start, let's start with CO2 um, and we'll come on to nasal. So Carbon dioxide, not just being a waste gas. Yes, it's produced when glucose and oxygen react to create energy in the cells. Carbon dioxide is produced. But it's that carbon dioxide that when it is in the blood, it's the, the brain's way of sensing or telling yourself when are you needing to um, when are you needing to breathe. It's not when your oxygen levels are low. Your oxygen uh, blood Oxygen saturation is often like just sticking safety around like 98, 99%. What is our trigger to, to need the need or the sensation of needing to breathe is when the brain registers um, a certain level of carbon dioxide. And that sensitivity to carbon dioxide in the blood gets altered depending on your breathing habits. Now, I having a bolt score of less than 10 seconds having been able to only hold my breath and walk less than 20 steps, meant that my sensitivity to CO2, to carbon dioxide, was very high. And so my brain was always telling me I need to breathe, I need to breathe, I need to breathe. And it creates this like vicious cycle of over-breathing, um, which often will become coincide with like mouth breathing and upper chest breathing. So we get into this bit of this vicious cycle of like, and those things generate, is more of a, uh, generates that over-breathing pattern and it sort of feeds itself. Now, what I've re learned recently is that there is a link between um, altered breathing patterns and over-breathing like that to people that have had head injuries or traumatic brain injuries. That is in 2013 what happened to me and why I retired from rugby. So it may have been, what I'm sort of finding out is that it's likely, and um, actually had a session with Dr. Cobb recently where he said it's, yeah, he would expect that the fact that I was super fit when I was playing rugby, like being fit was like my thing. Um win all the fitness test results and all that sort of stuff and then to have such poor breathing patterns um post injury it's likely that they um they changed at that point the part of the brain where those receptors are that are triggering us when to breathe and dictating whether we're going to like over breathe or not um are in the uh, in the brainstem which he says is like get often gets um you know damaged or um altered from a traumatic brain injury so that may be part of it, but it doesn't necessarily matter what, how it happened. It's like the things we can do to change that. So using things like the breath holding to change our tolerance to CO2 build up. Um, so we become less sensitive. So actually we can um, allow ourselves to have higher um, levels of CO2 in the blood. Um, means that we can get out of this pattern of over breathing. And all these things like tying together, it's not like necessarily one we've got to, to link in and work together. So we can start to um, change that and the body will adapt. So you do a breath hold as you're holding your breath. CO2 starts to build up. You're not letting it get out. It goes up, it goes up, it goes up. And you're teaching yourself and, and creating a stress effectively. It's a stressor. But the body's starting to get used to high levels of CO2 in the blood. And over time, 
you um, you get to uh, you get an adaptation, and then you're changing the same way the the adaptation happens the other way when you're constantly over breathing, you just become more and more sensitive to CO two building up. We can reverse that. Um, and the breath holds are a great way to do that. Also, just the, the breathing light, trying to um, breathe as, as slowly and gently as possible to create a little bit of air hunger, um, which is the, like a feeling of you want to take a slightly bigger breath, but you can maintain it. And a good one you could practice this now is put your finger, your index finger underneath your nose and start breathing in. And just notice how the air when you breathe in is slightly colder than the air that when you breathe out. So noticing that the air is colder on the way in, then on the way out, you'll notice it's warm and you'll notice it, the, the sensation of the air on your on your finger that is underneath your, your index finger that's underneath your nose. And just try to keep a nice steady pace, but just try to reduce the speed at which you're breathing in and out through the nose and slow it down as much as you can to the point of you can barely feel any airflow on your finger. It's a tough it's a tough one to do, but slowing down our our breath and generating a little bit of air hunger, this desire to like take we want to take a slightly big breath, but I can maintain it again is just changing uh, that sensitivity to CO2, uh, but in a more relaxed way than the stresses of a breath hold. Um, one of the really in, in I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but one of the really interesting things about the breath holding is. Um, that uh, and this will lead us onto the onto the nose and the importance of nasal breathing. That we have nitric oxide in the that builds up in the nasal cavity, and when we are so in the back of the nose, and when we which doesn't if you breathe in through the mouth, you don't harness this nitric oxide. But nitric oxide is a vasodilator, so it opens up uh, your airways and helps uh, distribute the blood in, within the lungs more evenly, so we get better transfer. Um, now, when we do a breath hold the nitric oxide builds up in the nasal cavity and then if the first thing after our breath hold is we breathe in through the nose that takes that nitric oxide in the nasal cavity and takes it down through those airways into the lungs and helps it distribute the, the blood more evenly throughout the lungs. Um, now that's one great benefit of uh, breath holds and, and nasal breathing. The other is that uh, the research shows that when we uh, do a breath hold, and it takes a while to be able to, or did for me to be able to do this for long enough. But being able to do a breath hold um, on the, after that normal exhale, so normally now normal exhale, um, if you do a breath hold um, for thirty seconds, that stimulates uh, or activates, as let's say, the uh, the spleen to release more red blood cells into your bloodstream. For the research is saying for like ten ten up ten to up to, up to sixty minutes. So as a warm-up and doing five repetitions of that, making sure you've recovered enough in a few minutes in between so that you fully feel like you've fully recovered, to do another breath hold again. And those breath holds could be done walking. Um, again, like that one where you count in your steps, you can you can you can take that walking into a jogging into a, a running pace. There's another type of um, breath hold of, of increasing intensity. It's a little bit more um, advanced, but hitting those 30 seconds for five times in our warm-up is helping the spleen release. For a short, for like up to an hour, um, more red blood cells. More red blood cells means more um, oxygen carrying capacity, so the hemoglobin. Um, and that's actually the thing I didn't mention about the CO2. So high levels of CO2 in the blood help to um, help to the, the hemoglobin to release oxygen from the blood into the cells. 
So when um, when we have little CO2 in the bloodstream, the pH is uh, is higher of the blood, and the affinity that hemoglobin has to oxygen is really high. So oxygen, uh, hemoglobin will hold on to the oxygen that's in the bloodstream. So having loads of oxygen in you know, attached to your hemoglobin in your bloodstream is great, but it's not great if it's not being released into the cells because it's in the cells where the energy is used to create energy. So higher levels of CO2 that we talked about before in the bloodstream helps to drop pH slightly, and that allows, is the trigger, it's called the, the Bohr effect, to for um, the hemoglobin to reduce its affinity to oxygen and basically letting that oxygen release from the hemoglobin out of the blood into the working cell. So another massive reason why um, CO2 is so important. It's the trigger of when we're going to breathe, but also it's necessary in order to get oxygen from the red blood cells in and out of the blood into the actual um, into the cells where it's needed. So yeah, that's a, that was a that was a massive point that I, uh, about CO2 that I moved on from too quickly. Um, so that then and that that's bringing us into then the importance of, of nasal breathing. Um, so we talked about nitric oxide. Um, the other thing with um, nasal breathing is that it is stimulating um, the diaphragm. There's a, there's a link between um, na- the nose and our diaphragm. So when we breathe through the nose, it helps to stimulate and activate diaphragmatic breathing. Diaphragmatic breathing is really important. That, that is your primary breathing muscle. The mouth is linked to upper chest breathing. Um, and we have um, you know additional like respiratory muscles that can help with lifting the ribcage when we are trying to get more air our, our absolute max and using the mouth to, to do that. But it's, it shouldn't be our go-to primary like way of breathing. We want to be using the diaphragm. People that use uh, are classified as diaphragmatic breathers score much more highly on functional movement uh, screening assessments. Um, diaphragmatic breathing helps to um, provide intra-abdominal pressure, which helps stabilize the spine. Um, which is going to help with functional movement. Obviously, it's going to help with our mobility because if the spine feels stable, the brain is going to allow us to use other elements of our body. But if it's sensing instability around the spine, the chances are it's going to want to protect us. So that's where some of that tightness can come in. Um, Those that feel like tightness around the neck, around the chest, like shoulders, pecs, um, that can come from like being a habitual like mouth breather. like breathing through the mouth, particularly at night, that's like one thing. Taping your mouth at night, that was like the crazy thing of um, that I remember reading in Oxymanzi. I was like, what is this? But making sure that you're breathing through your nose at night is like very, very important. Like me, I was, I'd wake up in the morning with a dry mouth. I was bad at snoring. Um, that goes away when you're breathing through, or for me, it's certainly gone away through breathing through your nose. You can still snore through your nose, and that's where trying to like reduce our cadence of breathing, so slowing things down can help stop that like if you try and snuck make a snoring noise whilst breathing very very lightly and slowly through your nose it's virtually impossible to create a snoring noise so if we can reduce our breathing rate and reduce um you know make it lighter then that also does help to reduce if we're snoring um, and you get a better night's sleep and feel more refreshed in the in the morning um, we should make wake up with uh, a moisture in our mouth if we've been keeping it closed and um, breathing through our nose so um, it sounds a bit crazy but it's not that bad taping your nose uh, taping your nose no taping your mouth uh, whilst you sleep i would say that one thing to like a good thing to practice if you want to try and do that you do think that you breathe through your mouth at night you wake up with a dry mouth and you snore a lot 
then um, just putting a bit of tape over the mouth, um, just like 3M medical tape, like very simple, um, but just like do it in the evening when you're watching telly for like 10, 15 minutes just to get used to it, see how it feels. And first few nights that you do it, it's probably going to come off. You might take it off or it just comes off in the night. But gradually over time, you just get more and more used to it and you'll just start, you know, switch to that nasal breathing, um, which is so important. Um, so one of the things I was going to say about nasal breathing is that the big thing for me was you go, right, Nasal breathing stimulates like or promotes diaphragmatic breathing. Great, I'm going to start using my nose. But what I noticed is, and this is where the awareness thing comes in, that certainly when I'm stressed or of, of you know slightly more stressed, I will go to a more upper chest breathing. But I'm aware enough now that I need to use my nose. So I'll still use my nose, but I'm not really using my diaphragm. I'm much more going back to this habit of like upper chest breathing, but with my nose. So I have to be conscious and and aware to make sure that I am breathing correctly, um, using the diaphragm, um, allowing the ribs to open up. And we'll talk about that next. That's the, the other one. So we've done CO2. We talked about nasal breathing. Last, this last one is like moving into like how we, the biomechanics of how we actually breathe. Um, and that would be an awareness piece first so yes start to breathe through the nose but let's think about and, and actually having to practice doing this so you can do this what this one um with me we can think about find your lower two your lower ribs on your use your fingers to sort of dig in around your around your stomach to find those lower ribs put your hands once you've got them you're going to feel that they're at like a diagonal and what they are going to want to do is uh, there's a few things they're going to want to do that diagonal line that they make where they reach talk about this on the webinar if people want to see this uh, to visualize it but um where they meet in the middle of your sternum, they call that the infrasternal angle. So about the angle those ribs are at. And they'll be at like a 45-degree angle-ish or something like that, but just as you try and find them now probably. Um, and as we breathe in, we want them to open up and widen. And as we breathe out, we want them to come together. We also want that feeling of those ribs to be like expanding in three dimensions. And one of the things that when we talk about belly, people say belly breathing, often we just push the belly out. We don't actually... Um, and we might be using a diaphragm, uh, but not efficiently because we won't actually be letting those ribs expand and contract together, which provides and facilitates the like, correct room for the diaphragm to move effectively. So um, your hands on outside of your ribs, those lower two ribs. And when you breathe in, you're going to feel them like expand out laterally. And essentially, it's going to be in a, think of this, your core and your trunk as like a cylinder. You want it to expand three dimensionally. So it's going to expand out to the sides, but it's also going to expand backwards and forwards and in all directions. But one of the like triggers or cues to think about is like feel your hands moving apart, expanding. Also, think about if you have, think of your fingers as like your actual ribs and like your intercostals. Think about those like widening and opening, creating space between those ribs. So expanding out laterally and in three dimensions, and also those rib the space between the ribs widening. And that angle of those bottom ones, this is quite a lot to think about, but it's, it's don't worry, it's, it's, you get you start to get used to it. So widening, expanding out, and then as we breathe in, that angle opens up, and as we breathe out, it comes together. And the, the, it, the, the angle coming together of those bottom ribs um, on the exhale is super important. Dana Santos introduced this to me, um, this notion that when we breathe, uh, when we breathe out, that's the chance for the, the, the diaphragm gets to relax. The diaphragm contracts on inhales, contracts and draws downwards. So as those ribs are moving out, 
you're thinking about that contraction of the diaphragm driving downwards. Um, and so as we're breathing, we're thinking about that diaphragm driving downwards and expanding out in three dimensions and that rib cage facilitating that movement. So the ribs are moving outwards. But then when we come back together, so, a lap, so when we exhale, those ribs come together, they come in and they come down and back. Think about your hands coming together. Now, when you exhale, say that's the, the diaphragm isn't contracting. That's the chance for the diaphragm to relax. And often when we are over-breathing and we're not using those ribs correctly, we're, not, we're then not allowing the diaphragm to work correctly and we're certainly not letting that diaphragm relax. And the interest, really, really interesting thing is if we don't allow that diaphragm to relax, it's going to stay with like residual tension in it. Now, where the diaphragm, this is where it affects movement massively, where the diaphragm connects um, into your lumbar spine, it intersects with psoas major, one of your, your, in one of your major hip flexors. Now, they come together and in cadavers, so if they chop up a body to like, you know, take, to, to, yeah, you know, an autopsy, then what basically they, when they chop that up, they actually can't distinguish between the diaphragm and the psoas major where they come together um, at the lumbar spine. So if there is going to be residual tension in our diaphragm, there's going to be residual tension in psoas major. And that's what we see a lot of the time when we fix these breathing. I, this is something that I've noticed massively and can do in sessions with people, did it in the webinar, where we do just a few breaths where we work on those mechanics and we do some really uh, good work on those exhales and actually even um, really forcing an exhale. Like if you're doing this to like try and relax and, and um, improve our movement and take some tension out of the diaphragm and the and psoas major is like, Breathing out, imagine you're breathing out through a straw, like getting rid of all of the air. We can do this in a kneeling, like hip flexor position, getting rid of all that air. Dana Santos does it in what she calls her breathing bridge, but getting rid of um, all that air and extending that exhale. One thing that extending that exhale does is put us in more of a relaxed state, so it shifts us towards more of a parasympathetic state allowing us to then, from an autonomic nervous system, actually like relax in the brain once we are in that sort of more relaxed state. Muscles that were tight have got the chance to give or give way and, and just release a little bit. But we're also like facilitating that relaxation of the diaphragm, which is going to help uh, relax uh, and, and take a bit of tension out of that psoas major. And um, I did it, I do it where I um, then go and retest like your hamstring, which I haven't even touched, but just releasing psoas major through some breathing techniques thinking about that exhale and all those ribs coming down and together and just getting rid of all that air so the diaphragm can actually relax in that dome shape that it makes at the, at the bottom of the rib cage. That's then um, that's then taking tension out so it's major. Hips feel a little bit looser. Go and do like a, a hamstring test, like a, a, a forward fold, touch your toes type of scenario and all of a sudden we gain loads of range and it's like, hmm, that's interesting. What's going on there? We explained what's going on. Um, that the, the tightness around your hips and your hip flexors are going to have impacts on the position of your hips and therefore going to have an effect on everything that's attached to your hips, so your abductors, your hamstring. Um, so that's like one real key thing that's going to change how we uh, move. When you're breathing and using your diaphragm in this way and, and facilitating good functional breathing habits with those uh, ribs moving correctly, then that's creating intra-abdominal pressure, which is good for creating um, spinal stability, as I mentioned before, the other thing is the position then of our rib cage gets to be in a more, you know, optimal position. And if we think about the shoulder, the scapulas sit on the rib cage. And if the rib cage is in a better position, or let's look at it the other way, if the rib cage is in a poor position, 
like tilted upwards, often in extended, like think about like lifting the chest up with some like upper chest breathing, you're always in that extended position, then the rib cage is in an altered position, then because the scapulas sit on the rib cage and literally ride on the rib cage, um, that's going to affect where the scapula is and where the scapula moves, and therefore that's going to affect the the way your shoulder functions, the the mobility that you've got through your shoulder. So there's another one I like to do where we look at a rotation pattern where you're twisting to one side with your arm out and you're reaching as far as you can, and then you breathe into the side that you're reaching, and then you breathe out and get all the air out of the opposite side where, where you're turning into. Again, that's shown in the in the webinar, but that. Um, can really help you change that rotational pattern through uh, through the ribcage by expanding on one side and then like flexing down and, and getting rid of all the air on the other um, facilitates that better rotation and allows and you'll feel like a difference in your shoulder range massively um, after that and I think the important thing is once we've increased this range we need to then like use it and train it so if I'm going to do some handstand work or some bridge work where I'm okay I've got this nice new range it feels really good Let's then layer some strength, stability, control on top of that so that the brain goes, right, I need to I need to maintain some strength, stability, control in these newfound positions that you've got um, and therefore likely to keep it rather than just doing a few breaths in this position, feeling like it releases. And then, you know, if you don't change your, you don't add in any strength, stability, control and you don't change your general day-to-day -day breathing habits, then you're just going to revert back to what you're doing before. So, um there's those three like key things: the the CO2 importance of getting um, having being able to tolerate higher levels of that, so you can get more oxygen out of the blood into the cells where it is needed. Um, then importance of nasal breathing, um, how it stimulates diaphragmatic breathing. Um, CO2 it also filters and humidifies the air, but actually protects the airways. It has a, that filtering system. Harnesses nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator. Um, so much compared to what the mouth could do. The mouth is incredible at eating, um, not so much at providing uh, our general breathing. Um, and then how that then how that diaphragm, those rib mechanics link into uh, providing better movement options for us. Um, I guess my takeaways are like you need to sp you need to heighten awareness. Like be intrigued, heighten awareness. Are you breathing through your nose or through your mouth? Are you upper chest breathing? Do you feel tense? Um, can slowing your breath down and slowing those exhales down help to relax you, help you to sort of get in towards more of a rest, digest, less fight or flight? The sympathetic tone is fight or flight. That's tension. Um, the, the parasympathetic is relaxation, rest, digest. It's great to do before you're going to have a meal because it's preparing the body to do that. So slowing the outburst. We can do some of these together where it, a nice cadence is four seconds in, 10 seconds out. Um, that then makes a 10 second breath which would give you a cadence or a breath rate of like six breaths per minute um so 5.5 to six breaths per minute is what's quoted as being in the research as um like the optimal breathing rate essentially um, very good for um, heart rate variability so taking some time to change your breathing habits um to relax is great it's a little bit of mindfulness as well um so we can try this in and out through the nose where you go four seconds in so in two three, four, and out, two, three, four, five, six, in through the nose, two, three, four, and out, relax, two, three, four, five, six, in through the nose, two, three, four, and out, two, three, four, 
five, six. There's just a couple of breaths, but you can see how can you breathe in and out through the nose? Can you make that out breath nice and relaxed and just slightly extended? Um, you can use that to you know shift at any time to to reduce your stress, make yourself feel a little better, less stressed, um, more relaxed. It could be used in using that as part of our talk about long exhalations to um, help facilitate deeper range of motion when you're in doing some of your mobility and stretching flexibility work um, if we can get out of this like stress state into more of the parasympathetic state then um, it's going to allow those muscles and tension to uh, release a little bit and that's not to say that we don't ever want to be stressed like we need to be able to deal with stress and that's where the breath holding they act as a stressor and um, we talked through some of those um, already and again i go through those um, in the webinar with the breath holding, um, you know, don't ever do it when you're underwater. Like that's crazy. Uh, don't ever, yeah, don't ever do that. And if you've got any serious health conditions or you're pregnant, then you shouldn't be doing breath holding um, either. So, yeah, bringing your awareness and, and and thinking about taking some time to think about your breathing. I always say to people, you're breathing every day and you're breathing every second of every day, like so potentially up to twenty five thousand times a day if you're over breathing. Um, can you reduce that down? Can you slow it down? Can you think about using your ribs more efficiently? Can you think about um, using your diaphragm um, more effectively? Using the nose, bringing that awareness, a little bit more awareness to it at any time throughout the day. Trying when you're training to, to only use the nose as much as you can. When you start, it's a bit of a snot fest potentially. Um, the nose unblocking drill is a great one where um, you just normal breath in, normal breath out. And pinch your nose and either do head nods, count to 10 or 15 head nods, or you can do walking steps if you want to push it a little bit further, 10 to 15 steps, and then do that three, four times. Um, and you should notice, like you could do that now, uh, you'll notice, like just see how your nose feels at the moment. Breathe in. You feel sound that's a bit, I feel a bit blocked to be there at the moment. A little bit. So I would do a normal breath in, normal breath out, pinch my nose and nod. Me going, mm, 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 and then breathing through the nose, and it'll feel. You notice how it feels clearer, even just after that. Um, as you work on this, and just the more you use your nose, the better it gets. You start to get up to like 60, 70 steps um, regularly on some of those breath holding. Again, always normal inhale, normal exhale, pinch the nose. Um, the steps is um, stimulating high altitude training. We'll go into that in a bit more detail in, in the webinar, but basically, you're building up um, CO2 starting to build up. That nitric oxide is dying to build up and you're just changing that tolerance to CO2 and using your nose more and the more you get used to that the easier the nose is to breathe through and is freer um, and I think the last thing for me to say is like being con try to just like anything anything that's that's worth doing takes time effort and consistency and it is definitely one of those things um, it's not going to change overnight you won't just start breathing through your diaphragm and with your ribs perfectly because you all of a sudden switch to nasal breathing. If like me, you've got to change those habits. You've got to take some time to think about it. Um, so yeah, uh, I hope that's been helpful. As I say, the link for the free webinar um, where you can go through and see and look and, and follow me through some of those exercises um, that I discussed um, is available on, on the virtual classroom. It's free to everyone and, uh, and available to watch back as many times as you want. I'll put the link, the link will be in the show notes for that. 
Um, and if you have any questions, I'd love um, to hear from you. My email, direct email is david at schoolcastnext.com. Uh, please get in touch. Love to hear from you. Love to talk um, nasal breathing. We'll be doing some more um, webinars and sessions um, together for sure. So look out for those. Um, have an amazing Christmas. Um, even send me an email to say happy Christmas. Enjoy the podcast. Or yeah, I'm not bothered about breathing. Hopefully you are. If you made it all the way to the end, you've probably been bothered about breathing. Um, so yeah, hope it has been helpful. Love to hear from you and have an amazing um, Christmas and uh, God bless. Class dismissed.